Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the show. Hope you're having a good week, a good day, and keeping it all in perspective. A good morning, or let me say it differently, a bad morning does not mean a bad day. A bad day does not mean a bad week. We're staying open to what's to come, and if we are having a difficult time, which a lot of us still are, we're, we're softening into that, but also carving out some time for fun and joy to the extent that we can. A little bit of a content warning. We're going to open the show by talking about abuse, partner, domestic violence abuse, and other forms. So for those of you that are triggered and, and struggle with that, um, now now's your, you know, your warning to uh, do what you need to do to take care of yourselves, maybe, um, you know, hit a, hit a pause. So, um, you know, this, this topic is important for a lot of reasons. So even if you're not in a relationship of some kind with someone who's maybe in an abusive relationship, this also becomes a conversation about how to deal with difficult topics in relationship to those we care about. So this is a show for everyone. Um, so I'm going to get to that that part secondarily in a moment, the, the takeaway for literally all of us, because all of us have been in conversation with someone we care about and they're saying something that we don't agree with or we don't like hearing and we're frustrated and we, we, we notice, wait, why am I upset? Why am I angry? This isn't happening to me. Uh, maybe we're tired of hearing our friend complain about their job. Maybe we're tired of hearing our friend, friend complain about their bad relationship and we're just like, so it falls under that kind of category. We'll get into that. Just wanted to start by saying um, the cycle of abuse is a very difficult one. And so we always want to enter it with safety and softness. And we don't want someone to feel judged or to feel bad because they're trapped in the cycle of abuse. Um, it's structured such that it becomes confusing and hard for people. And it, it hurts my heart as a therapist when I hear people say, you know, well, why didn't you, why didn't you just leave? Why don't you just leave? Nothing's as simple as that. It's called psychology. And psychology is complex. It's like saying to someone, why don't you just jump higher or run faster? Well, not everyone has that capability. And not everyone is coming from a place where they've learned the skills that are necessary to do that. It's not as simple as just leaving. Um, the cycle of abuse is very confusing because what happens is the abuser is aware of what to do to trap or to provide a hook of hope for change so that the individual who's being abused doesn't necessarily realize that they're in an abusive relationship, 
is confused by some, you know, at times improved or changed behaviors, thinking that finally maybe this person will be better. We're also talking about a person's sense of self-worth and whether or not they deserve better or can find better. We're talking about a, a person's sense of agency and empowerment. Do they feel empowered in the world? Side example, let's say it's someone who's got an exploited, marginalized identity. Let's say it's someone of color. Well, they're trying to exist in a world where they already don't necessarily feel safe or cared for or of worth and value. They might not necessarily have a lot of opportunities to employment or finances or other basic needs getting met. And so staying with an abuser might feel like the only way that they'll get those needs met or the only place they feel any shred of care. And they don't, when they look out in the wider world, feel like leaving that person really sets them up to succeed. Let's say they have children as well. Where are they going to live? Where are they going to get their basic needs met? So they stay. And the individual cycle that happens as part of the abuse cycle is after the explosiveness and the abuse, the abuser swoops back in and love bombs them. You're the greatest thing in the world. I love you. Here's flowers. Here's gifts. I'll be better. I'll change. And that keeps the person in hope, hanging on to that. And then it happens again. And then the person swoops back in and love bombs them again, saying it's better, I'm different, I love you, don't leave. Well, that's confusing and that's complicated because even though things are really, really, really bad at times, they're so, so, so great at times as well. And that becomes part of that cycle that keeps people trapped in addition to everything else that's gone, in, gone on in their lives. You know, their family of origin, what happened in their family? What was modeled for them? Do they believe that better exists or that they deserve better? Are they familiar with love sometimes coexisting with violence? It can't. Violence never includes love and love never includes violence. But for some people, they've been raised to believe it does. They saw other family members or their mother or father staying in a domestically abusive relationship. It's not as simple as just leave. Where is this person going? Who's helping them get there? You know, it's easy for friends and family members to say that. Are you going to take them in and pay their bills and help raise their children? Where is this person going? And are you going to help them, you know, build up their self-esteem and self-worth? Well, I hope so, because that's going to be part of tonight's show. So I just want to call that on the front end. It's psychology. It's a complicating factor. I'm always advocating for us to understand that more, that just because someone might not have a broken leg that their mental well-being or their lack thereof also is as important and has to be accommodated. And so just like someone might not be able to have the same expectations placed upon them as everyone else because they have an issue with mobility and walking and functionality physically, mental health is the same thing and has to be given the same accommodations and the same care. That's called being mental health centered. Anything other than that is sociopathic dehumanizing and another form of violence. So we're going to talk tonight about how to support and exist in a relationship with someone who you believe is in an abusive relationship. And, and we're also going to just talk about self-regulatory stuff as well. So um, stick around for that. Um, DMs are also open. If you've got a questions for any questions, put them in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. We'll be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. 
Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast oh rachel we're back and we're you know giving a little bit of a trigger warning content warning we're talking about abusive relationships domestic violence um you know we're talking about why it's difficult why it's not just as easy as leave or why didn't you leave? Or why don't you leave? Cycle of violence is what keeps people trapped and hooked. And we talked about all the other factors that are part of why people stay within things that aren't working for them. Um, I think these, you know, again, it depends on where you look at the stats, but, uh, you know, I'm looking at one of them right now and it says 25% of women in the U S experience intimate partner violence in their lifetime. 25%. I'm going to say it's far higher because 25% is only based on those that have reported it. And most people don't report it. And also I think that our definitions of abuse aren't sensitive enough. Meaning I think they include a lot more things than are built into the definition. So if you say to someone, are you in an abusive relationship? They're often only thinking about physical abuse. We often allow or legitimize emotional and psychological abuse. If you're in a relationship with a partner who comments negatively on your body, that's a form of psychological abuse. If you're in a relationship with a partner who name calls, that's a form of psychological and emotional abuse. If you're in a relationship with someone who tells you who your friends are and what you can wear and what time you have to be home, that is a form of psychological and emotional abuse. Gossiping, bullying, name calling, putting down, controlling is abuse, period. You should exit that relationship if you have the means to. And if you don't, tonight's show is what we're really talking about. But for those that do feel empowered to do so, call it out and get out. That is not acceptable. We're not allowing that anymore. And if you're the abuser, stop. If you're the abuser, stop name calling, stop putting down and stop controlling and go get into some therapy. You're not healthy enough to be in someone's life if those are the things you're doing. And if you just somehow thought that they were okay, stop. Okay. 
moving beyond that because I don't want tonight's show to really be about the identification of abuse. It's just about how to deal with someone you care about who you believe is in an abusive relationship. Um, <clears throat> so sometimes it's you believe it because you witness it. You're seeing them throw things, slam things, because that is a form of violence and abuse. You might not throw or slam them at the person and hit them with it, but to do it around them is implied violence. It's a form of violence. So you might see it in real time, or you might be told it by your friend, ah, that my, my partner is making fun of my body, you know, being fat phobic or controlling me or is going through my phone or calls me names or even sometimes maybe hits me. Those are all forms of, of, of abuse, but maybe you don't see that or hear that. And you notice that your friend's getting isolated from you. That's a form of abuse, often a red flag. Um, maybe you're seeing injuries and you're asking and the partner is not, or I'm sorry, and your friend is not willing to talk or explain. That's a red flag. And some other things that often are around, you know, um, emotions and finance and things like that. So again, the question is, what do you do if you're that friend? Well, you first want to maintain your relationship to this friend. And so you don't want to set yourself up as an adversary to their relationship because that's not what you're trying to do. We can both say to someone, hey, I'm really worried about your mental health as a result of the relationship you're in without necessarily directly saying, I'm an enemy of that relationship. And every time you see me, I'm going to bring it up, hold you accountable to it. And in addition, here's the takeaway. I'm going to make you have to caretake my feelings about you being in that relationship because that tends to be the biggest problem with people who are in the life of someone who's struggling with something is they also start to want their own feelings about it caretaken. For instance, um, we've all been in an experience where we shared something with a friend, um, something that we're doing at work, something we're doing with another friend, something in a relationship, and we're really needing it to be about us. We're sharing how excited we are that we met someone or something that's going on in a relationship that's difficult for us. And the friend that we're sharing it with starts making it about them. We see that they're getting frustrated with this topic. They're getting worked up and you're thinking, wait a minute, why are, why are they upset? This isn't happening to them or in their life. It's happening to me. We've all been in that situation and it just complicates and it actually communicates us to us that this friend that we need to have access to, to process and to figure things out and to maybe find solutions, we then start to think I can't bring this topic to them. They're not calm or regulated enough to deal with their own emotions or feelings about it. Don't be that person. If someone comes to you um, with difficult material, especially them maybe being in an abusive relationship, you need to stay calm. You need to be able to manage yourself, regulate yourself, remind yourself, this isn't happening to me. I need to be there for my friend. This is about them. I see too many people basically communicating directly and indirectly that I'm not a safe space for you to go to. That is the number one flaw in all of this. Someone who's in an abusive relationship needs friends and family members that can stay calm and regulated and stay connected. Don't make, it, don't make it harder on them because of that. Don't punish them because they're in something you want them to be out of. Don't make it about you. And that is often what happens. So again, your main job is to keep communication going. Your main job is to stay connected. Your main job is to make that person feel safe sharing the abuse or whatever's going on with you and you not making it about you and your feelings or even your thoughts. Just stay present and stay connected. It sounds easy, but you have to remind yourself that. You have, to, you have to check in on how you're sitting. You have to check in on your tone of voice. You have to check in on your body language and stay connected and safe for that person to share. It's hard. I get it. You wish they would just do what you've told them a thousand times. You wish they would just be over it already. 
but they have to be where they are. We talk all the time about the stages of change. Not everyone is ready to step into action just because they've identified a problem. That is the same thing with changing jobs, going back to school, getting out of a problematic relationship, um, starting to exercise more, uh, maybe getting away from drugs and alcohol. Just because someone's acknowledging, yeah, that might be a good idea, or my drinking's a problem, it doesn't mean they're ready to step into the action stage. The stages of change have a pre-step before that called the contemplation stage, which is when people are contemplating it. They're thinking about it. They're considering it. They're talking about it. They're weighing the pros and cons. That can take weeks, months, or years. It isn't about your timetable. It's theirs. And your job is to keep that conversation alive. Your job is to still be a safe resource for them to come talk it through with. Your job is to help motivate them. But it's not about you and what you're frustrated with and what you're tired of hearing about. Because again, tonight's show is about us, the friend of the person who's in an abusive relationship and how we can be there for them. Going to talk more about it? Stick around. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. All right, y'all, we're back. And uh, before the break, we were talking about how we can be a better support or resource for someone that we know or believe is in an abusive relationship. So content warning, trigger warning, we're talking about domestic violence and relational abuse tonight. So take care of yourselves within that topic and do what you need to do. And we're talking about how sometimes it's hard to be on the receiving end of someone constantly complaining or sharing signs and symptoms of abuse, and yet they don't leave or they do nothing about it. You know, we were talking earlier in the show about how the abuse cycle is one that keeps the person trapped, as does everything else that's going on in their life or has gone on in their life. That is part of building up um, an individual who can or cannot take care of themselves. And we're talking about the stages of change, how just because someone has identified something as a problem or you have as their friend or support doesn't mean they're ready to step into action and make change. This, the, this change doesn't happen like that. A lot of people spend a lot of time in the contemplation stage, which is they're considering, they're thinking about, they're weighing the pros and cons, they're looking at all their options. That's how it goes with everything. Maybe buying a home, maybe a new job, going back to school. We have to think about it takes time. It's not on our timeline. And we're talking tonight about how to be the support of someone who is in an abusive relationship. Um, you have to accept, because my first point was stop making it about you. Stop making it about how tired you are of hearing the same thing. Stop making it about the fact that you've told them what the solution is a thousand times. It's not about you. You want to first stay close and connected and make them not feel bad coming to you. So calm down and regulate yourself. And then you have to accept ready drum roll that they might not leave their partner as quickly as you want them to, or they might not leave at all. They might not leave at all. They might choose to stay. And you have to accept that. It's not about what you think and it's not about what you feel. And I know it's uncomfortable and difficult to imagine that. Deal with it. It's not about you. You're not living that life. You have to be able to regulate yourself around that. This person might not leave or leaves, might not leave as quickly as you want them to but you need to stay connected and present in their life. That is the same thing with drugs and alcohol. If someone's constantly relapsing, we don't abandon them. That leads to further use, depression, and maybe death because now they have no one. They have no reason to get sober. We need to stay in people's lives when they're struggling. We, they need us more. That's why I can't believe treatment centers kick people out when they relapse. They're there because they're struggling. If someone is struggling so much that while inpatient, they're still using, they need more care and support, not less. You don't kick them out. What, what world are we living in? Do you kick someone out of treatment for depression if they're feeling depressed? 
No. What sense does that make? What happens in school when you're struggling in math class? You get a tutor. We give you more care and support and structure, not less. We don't say, oh, you're here to learn how to do math. You're struggling at doing math, though. Even though you're here to learn and you're supposed to make mistakes, we're going to kick you out of class and school. What planet is that? In, in, in physical health, if someone's rehabilitating their leg after an injury and they had a relapse on their leg and, and it's hurting again or whatever's going on, do we kick them out of treatment? No, we amp up the structure and care. We don't do that with mental health, but especially now with addiction, what is going on? If a treatment center, someone's relapsing, you keep them there, you give them more care and support. They need to be there even more. The people that are doing well don't need to be there as much as this other person. That was my side note. Now, abuse is the same thing. If they're struggling, and, and, they, and they aren't stepping out. They need more care and support from you, not more frustration and drama. This person might not leave or on your timetable, and that is very hard. So if, however, the harm is escalating and there's maybe children involved, yeah, you might need to step in and bring in some reinforcements, other friends, other family members. But you have to let the victim of the abuse know that we're on their side because one of the things that happens psychologically when you're in an abusive relationship is you lose choice and voice. You're essentially feeling as though you have no power. We don't want to recreate and re-traumatize by being yet another resource that's taking away their power and trying to control them. You have to actually, while saying, listen, here's the options you have and what's going on in your life is not okay. You have to say, I'm still here for you and you are in control. I'm not gonna recreate that trauma by trying to control you and make decisions for you. And I know that that's very, very, very hard. So you wanna find a way to bring in other trusted, healthy people to help plan for safety, to help talk about resources, to help them understand that there's people for them, but you don't take away their control, their voice or choice. That's traumatizing. That is not trauma-informed and that is not mental health-centered. I know, it's hard work. Because we know from all the research that when someone feels empowered and cared for, they're more willing to take care of themselves. And so we want to enhance that. We want to talk about planning. We want to talk about options. Someone is more likely to leave a domestic violence situation if they feel like they have worth and value because everyone around them is reflecting that back. They'll then want to take care of themselves and presenting a vision or a path that's very reasonable. Here's where you can stay. We will help you get employment. We can take care of you and your children. Versus just saying, get out, with them having no vision, no support, no plan. But the work really is, what, what are we doing? You know, we, are, we wanna make sure we're not contributing more to the system by making it harder or more difficult or more shameful. We're not shaming them and telling them they're a bad parent or they're a bad person or any of that. That's working against the solution. Because some people go that route. We wanna not shame, we wanna empower and build up. We wanna make them feel better. People take care of themselves when they're taken care of. The better we treat someone, the better they'll treat and take care of themselves. Because again, as I always say, self-esteem is relational. It's reflected back to us. It is given to us by other people. A zillion, million, billion percent. The people we're around matter the most. All right, we're going to come back and do some DMs, so stick around for that. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Stick around. We'll be right back. All right, y'all, we are back, and now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, my girlfriend and I have been dating for five months. So that means you two have not been together very long. I'm going to start using that terminology. Not that long. 
you don't know each other that well. You've only been able to probably present from your best. Maybe a little conflict has happened. You clearly have not been able to go through a lot of different milestones, a lot of different experiences to see what it's like to be together. So it's new. Okay. And officially together for one. Ah, no, you just kind of busted my bubble. So you've been dating for five months and officially together for one. Oh no, still stands. So you don't really know each other well. Okay. Her ex was extremely abusive and controlling in every single way. And I have been nothing but supportive of her healing journey and feel so lucky to be by her side as she keeps healing. Okay, great. Before I get to the question, being with someone for five months plus one doesn't mean that you've been there maybe long enough to give them a corrective experience where they're able to see you as you are and not still assume you're like their ex or to have had a true corrective experience to have resolved all that because it's only been a few months. And a lot of people make a lot of assumptions. Yeah, but I've been a great partner. I'm like, yeah, bro, it's been 30 days. Calm down. Okay, back to the question. She's told me since we met that her ex continues to reach out to her through email, but she has never responded. Yes, toxic, problematic people don't understand boundaries and, 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 and often keep reaching out to people. But I'm glad she's holding the boundary because if you reach out, if someone reaches out to you and you communicate, you are saying to them, I'm here, I'm open, I'm available, keep reaching out. The best way to handle someone reaching out who you don't wanna have a relationship with of any kind is to stay silent and to not respond and to block them because no one has a right to access you just because they know how to. So I'm proud of her for being like, cool, you can send me messages, but that doesn't mean I have to respond, which is what I tell everyone. Just because your mom calls doesn't mean you have to listen to the voicemail. Just because someone texts you doesn't mean you have to open it. You get to decide who has access to you and when. Because maybe you're having a bad day and someone triggering is reaching out and you're thinking now's not the time to open that up. Get in the habit of leaving things unopened and unread unless it might be an emergency. We do have to get familiar with that. Some people are just always letting whoever wants to come in in, and that's not a good sign of mental health. Back to your question. Last night, the ex sent another email. Okay, of course, of course, because clearly has no boundaries and her lack of communication, which is a communication of I don't want to talk to you, he doesn't care about. So, of course, he's still reaching out. Um, I told her what I always tell her, that I'm supportive of whatever decision she makes, whether she wants to file a protective order. Why would you file a protective order? I mean, is she feeling threatened physically? Because I haven't heard that. Um, someone sending an email, is, it's a little extreme to follow a protective order. Uh, we want to be very thoughtful about bringing in the, the, the police. Remember, a lot of things go wrong when that happens. Um, back to your question. You said, but I feel like it's not my decision, it's hers. You're correct. It is not your decision, it is hers. She gets to decide the relationship she has with other people, not you. So I'm glad you're not being controlling, which is what her ex used to do. Tell her who could be in her life and in what ways. You don't get to do that. I don't care if you're someone's husband or someone's boyfriend. You don't get to tell another adult what to do. We don't ever get to tell another adult what to do for any reason. You can set boundaries though and say, I can only be in a relationship with you if you blah, blah, blah. And then she gets to decide what she does, but you don't get to tell her, but you get to define yourself and what your boundaries are. Back to the question. We are, we are fine tooth comb in this one. She told me that she really wants my input in the situation, but I just feel like I only do so much, but I just feel like I can only do so much. I'm not sure what added responsibility comes with the official title. I love where this is going. You sound very kind and compassionate. Um, what was the question? I don't know what the added responsibility is. The title doesn't add any responsibility. What does this trust and commitment? People can say, you're my boyfriend, you're my wife. I don't care what those labels mean. What I wanna know is how committed are you and how much intimacy do you want and how much trust has been built. Those qualities are not dependent upon labels, right? Um, 
If she's saying, I'd love for you to be involved, you then say back to her, in what ways? If she says, I want you to help me, you say, let me know how I can help you. And then feel free and willing to do that. I think you're being very caring. I do believe that you're going to give her corrective experience if you both can pull this off. I think you're going to be very good for her. Never do things that come off as controlling. She's still resolving the trauma of that. But I think it's important for you to keep putting it a little bit back on her so she can re-empower herself and not transfer power onto you, which is what she was familiar with, but being done in a controlling way by her ex, by saying, you tell me how you want me to help you and I'll do that. Keep asking her the question back but you seem like a good partner. All right, y'all, we'll be back. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Stick around, y'all. We got a lot more to come. All right, we're back and we're switching gears and we're gonna talk a little bit about how to cope with work stress. What? I know, this applies literally to everything. So whether you're employed, unemployed, underemployed, or opting out of the entire system, there's still something you can learn in this. Uh, yes, how nice to opt out of the entire system, but that's right. We have to earn our basic needs. Remember, we have to earn a living. Horrible concept, I wish it wasn't that way, but uh, as we work to dismantle all of that, let's figure out how we can uh, find a way to participate in a healthy way within the structures. Um, so what are the, let's talk about, let's be broad for a second. Um, what are the common sources of work stress? Well, the most reported ones are low salaries, you know, that makes sense. Uh, working hard, but still not even making any money to live a life that's meaningful for you, that's fun and joyous. Because that's really a sign that things are going well. You're having fun in your life. Life is not meant to be about just getting by and feeling like, woof, all right, I can pay all my bills this week. Oh my God, the goal is to be able to have fun enjoying your life. That should, that should be what life is centered in, uh, not hard work. And so low salaries, understandably, is going to confuse someone as to why am I working so hard, but yet I'm still not able to even live a life. Another stress is excessive workloads where people are doing more than they think they have the time or ability or energy for. And that's also a mental health issue beyond just the superficial part, because I also remind everyone that just because someone else can do a certain workload doesn't mean you can. We're all different. We have different psychologies and the same expectations that can be put on one person or one child can't be put on everyone else. That has to be applied to the school system. System as well. Just because half the class can get this homework done or done on time doesn't mean that's the right expectation for everyone else. We can have the same standard for everyone. And I know that that's very confusing and complicating for people, but that's just how the world works. And we have to adjust to reality. Expectations have to be different person by person. 100%. We're all different. We all have different abilities. We all have different neurologies, different nervous systems, different traumas. 100%. Um, other common work stresses are feeling as though there's no room for growth being like wow this is it nowhere to go from here um finding wor uh, another work stress that's been reported in the top ones are work that isn't challenging or engaging you don't feel like you're doing anything meaningful it's kind of boring it's repetitive um there's stress in that you know this this malaise of what am i doing with my life what am i doing with my day waking up and not feeling good about what lays before you it's part of depression and anxiety. Another part is lack of social support. Um, that's a very vague term, but you know some people are going to relate to that. Um, another big stressor is not having enough control over decisions within your job, feeling very micromanaged or controlled. We need a sense of empowerment. We need a sense of purpose. We need to feel like we're using our skills and that we matter. And then um, unclear performance expectations. You know, am I doing it right? Am I not doing it right? How do I know? Um, because ideally. The goal is to be a part of something where you feel like you're using your strengths and the parts of you that you like having utilized and that what you do has purpose and meaning and you walk away feeling accomplished. Those are the goals. 
Um, I know. So how do we try to find a way to exist in a healthy way within this system is the question. <clears throat> we talked on a show not too far back. I can't remember what the general topic was, but I was sharing this idea. Oh, I think it was working with the, the ADHD brain. I don't remember. But I was talking about this idea, and I'll refer, I reference a lot of the same studies, a lot of the same topics all the time. I'm a big fan of repetition. It builds it in. It becomes familiar to us. We get to use it. So long-time listeners know I circle through a lot of the same things, but that's the gift. So you don't always have to write down everything and remember everything. But um, I was talking about how it's better to usually do the hardest things first. We don't want to look at the week ahead of us and see difficulty growing and mounting and at the end. And some of us are more prone to say, oh, I'll get to it when I get to it. It's better to start with the hardest things. You can break it down by the hardest thing of the week I'll do on Monday or the hardest thing every day you'll do when you first get to work. Now, why does that make reasonable sense? Well, I just told you on one hand, it's psychologically better for us to know that the week's going to get easier or the day will get easier. But also as we accomplish things, hard things, we also have a sense of mastery. And that also improves our mood. Wow, whew, I just did something. I just did that. And then again, we go back to my first point, which is now I know the day's only going to get better and easier. So that's the first thing you want to do. Do the hardest things first at the beginning of the week or the beginning of the day, and also the things that hopefully will give you a sense of mastery. Those are combined. That's important. So that's, that's, that's the biggest thing I can tell you is the way you structure it's going to matter. And then sometimes it also helps to build in rest times to knowing, all right, I'm going to work for the next hour and then I'm going to get up and take a walk. Because we now know that you can only focus for about 45 minutes to an hour and then you need a break. Um, Two hours, you're starting to push it. Three hours, you've, you've definitely gone beyond. Every hour, you should get up and move around. Some people, they can always be moving around. Um, depends on what your, what your job is. But every hour, have some form of break built in where you go get a glass of water, go get more coffee, go for a walk, go to the bathroom, or maybe just stand up at your desk and stretch. You know, But every hour, you want to kind of build that in. And that's going to also change your experience and kind of shake off some of that monotony. Very, very, very important. Um, okay, we're going to come back and talk more about how to deal with work-related stress, but this applies to all stress. So this is just a generalized skill set and perspective we need to all have access to and awareness of. So we'll talk about that and then we'll do uh, doing some DMs. So if you got a DM for us, a question you want us to answer, something you want us to hit topically or circle back and drop deeper into, put that on the DMs on our Loveline IG page, past episodes of the show, always over at wearechannelq.com. We'll be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. All right, y'all, we are back talking about how to cope with work stress. Uh, we were looking at what are the main stressors, low salaries, excessive workloads, not feeling like there's room for growth or advancement, not finding your work meaningful or challenging, um, not having enough control over your job, and also not always understanding what the performance expectations are. What am I even doing here? Am I doing it right? Um, it's kind of a top-down issue, right? So how do we, if we're on the down, <laughs> if we're not up at the top, how do we make some of those shifts and changes to take care of ourselves? Well, before the break, I was talking about how we should do the more difficult things at the beginning of the week or at the beginning of the day. It doesn't help us psychologically to see the week getting harder or the day getting harder. Tackle the hardest things first. It will also give you a sense of mastery, which will make you feel a little more confident at what's coming because what's coming is easier. Also, when we start our day, we have the most energy. Don't wait until you're burnout and tired and running on maybe dirty energy, you know, your 24 hour, whatever that's called, 12 hour, whatever it is. I can't remember those shot things and, and coffee and Red Bulls and sugar. Ooh, that is dirty energy. At the end of the day, you want to be doing the easier, lighter tasks. Also, 
building in breaks every hour. Stand up, stretch, move around, go for a walk, get some coffee, get some water. It breaks it up. We cannot focus, direct focus for more than about 45 minutes to an hour. Sorry, it's just how our brains work. And the system needs to adjust to how our brains are. It's also how you're more focused and productive. Um, and I don't want to spend too much time on this one, but remember, we've debunked the idea of multitasking. It is not efficient and you lose energy and it's not as competent. When you're transitioning from focal point to focal point, you have to actually spend up to sometimes 20 minutes to refocus on whatever you just shift your focus to. So what does that mean? It means do one thing at a time. Just do one thing at a time, whatever that, however that means or however that looks. But you have to factor in everything. It is considered multitasking if while I'm doing that one thing, I'm also checking my phone or have my phone on. If my phone's giving me alerts, that just took me away from what I'm focused on. So if you're working on a project, don't also be answering your phone, checking your text message, or having those alerts on. So think about that, because that, that is a distraction and that's moving your attention from back and forth and that transition is where we lose. It's where we lose what, 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 our, what our focus required. And, and it, studies show up to 20 minutes to refocus on what it was we were just doing or reading to settle back into it and to remind ourselves of what it was we looked at or what our goal is. We lose a lot in that transition time. So it, you know, it impacts the quality of our work, but also our competence. So think about that as well. But I also thought in doing the research, what was really interesting, excuse me, and this is, that's the air conditioning right there. Um, track your stressors because sometimes we're, we're not paying attention to what they are, thereby not knowing what really needs the most addressing. And if you write down like what, what was stressful today or what do I imagine will be stressful this week, you might see some commonalities or some patterns. You might realize, okay, I'm not getting to work. I'm not giving myself enough time to get my work done or I'm getting to work late and the day's ending too soon or I'm constantly dealing with this one thing and maybe there's a more global way to kind of solve that. We want to look at patterns and habits and maybe you're realizing, oh, these stressors all take place at the end of the week. What would it mean if I dealt with them at the beginning of the day or the beginning of the week? Well, then I might have a lower stress week, kind of going back to my earlier point about doing the harder things first. So when we track what our stressors are, again, we might find a more global solution or we might be able to position them differently throughout our day so that it's not the stressor weighing on our shoulders that we're getting to. Um, so track it. What stressed me? Simple, simple seconds. <laughs> Maybe put a little stick it on your po on your desk and throughout the day itemize what it was or think about it. You know, ahead of time. Um, also, this sounds like a little ridiculous to say, but work on having better and healthier responses to those stresses. Oftentimes, our solutions sometimes make it worse or amplify it because it's an avoidant tactic that we use as a, as a response, or we do something that's just harder on our system or our body. Kind of like, let me use an, a, a parallel example. Working out isn't always good for you. Working out is good for you in general to move your body into exercise, but not if you've had a hard, stressful, exhausting day, you're just adding something, you're adding more labor to your day, something that's more depleting and something that's going to be even harder on an already worked out burnout nervous system. So sometimes the better solution after a hard day is to take the day off. Sometimes the solution after a hard day is to lay on the couch, not to still go to the gym and cook dinner. Maybe you need delivery to lay on the couch because you need more, you need rest because you're depleted. Don't do more draining activities. So pay attention to what your solutions are. Maybe at the end of the day, instead of drinking more Red Bull, it's better to go for a walk and get fresh air because you just need a little revitalization and to wake up a little bit, but that Red Bull might actually further deplete you and burn out your adrenals. So 
just focus on that. Do I need to maybe sleep more? Do I need to sleep better? Do I need to go to bed earlier? Like, are there more restorative self-care based solutions instead of staying up later, drinking the Red Bull, things like that, that might actually be working against you, making things harder and more complicated. I see people do that all the time where I'll lovingly say, wow, that was an odd solution. It looks like that made things harder. I wonder if there's a more restorative renewal based way to tackle that. So again, track it, drugs, alcohol, um, those aren't gonna be things that are gonna make things better. They're gonna amplify, amplify things. Hangovers, uh, paranoia. So just pay attention to what you think your solutions are and whether or not they're actually helping. Another funky, funky, difficult one is establishing boundaries. Uh, maybe you do need to have a conversation with your supervisor about the expectations that are on you and how they're not reasonable or they're not doable. Maybe you need to be more thoughtful about being unavailable after a certain time. I tend to go unavailable after about 7 p.m. and then it's my personal private time and I don't check my work email anymore. Um, we don't all have to feel tethered to our phone just because it's possible. We have to be thoughtful about how accessible we are. Because remember, checking your work email after hours is spiking your anxiety. Anxiety. So just because we're not around the stressor, we still are bringing in stress. We're not at work, the stressor, but the stress is still there because we're checking work emails. Let it go after a certain time because that's your time to just be sitting in safety. And it's a cue to your body that you're in safety and your body can settle down. But even though we're no longer at work, if we're always thinking about work, talking about work and checking our work stuff while at home, we're living in stress because we're symbolically bringing in the stressors. It's kind of like getting over an ex. Let it go by not looking on their social media and talking about them all the time, which is a way to psychologically keep them in the room and in your life. Let it go. We have to have that work-life balance. It's very important. All right, we're going to come back and talk more about it. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be right back. All right, we're back and we're finishing up our discussion on how to cope with and deal with work stress. Some of the top ways that it enters our lives are, uh, you know, anxiety around salary, excessive workloads, not feeling as though there's room for growth, not finding the work challenging or meaningful, not having a sense of agency or control over your job, and not understanding work performances. Then we talked about just tracking the stressors. Some of them are just completely resolvable if you track them to better understand what they are. Others, maybe you're going to approach them differently or build them into your schedule different times. As I say over and over, doing the harder things first that day or that week, things that give you a sense of mastery knowing the week is only going to get easier and better. Also knowing for most of us, when we first get to work is when we have the most energy. Don't wait till the end of the day. Also looking at your coping mechanisms and your responses to the stress, uh, going home and drinking all night or, you know, smoking weed for some is going to soothe and be restful. But for a lot of us, it's going to just make things harder. We're going to feel worse. Uh, we're going to wake up feeling worse. It's going to add to some paranoia, maybe do something restorative. Also, instead of eating the sugar and the caffeine at work to quote unquote, keep going and push through, maybe just get some fresh air, put on some music, get up and walk around your desk and stretch. Those are going to be things that are actually restorative and helpful versus things that maybe make us feel worse or work against what we're trying to do. So pay attention to your responses, setting work-life boundaries where you're not keeping yourself in a stress state by thinking about talking about or looking at work stuff after a certain time, your body does need to break away from all of that literally every single day. I personally have a cutoff time where I don't check work stuff anymore because I'm not a 24 seven response team and I don't need to be accessible around the clock at all times. I check my email, I think three times a day and I don't check it after 7 p.m. Um, anyone, you know, all emergencies go to 911. Otherwise I'll deal with things the next day. We're allowed to have work-life balance and I advise you all to have that. Um, 
Also, making sure that your downtime is actual downtime. I can't say this enough. If we're doing labor all week, we don't want our free time to be more labor. That's why some people come back from vacations still tired because their vacations were very activity-driven. Well, when were you, when are you resting? So do make sure your weekends are full of rest and your nights are full of some rest. And maybe you don't go to the gym at night. You need to just rest. Maybe you don't cook and you meal prep on the weekend before or you do delivery. I don't know. You figure it out. And also make sure that there's some fun. We're on this planet for fun and joy. Don't make it just work on top of work on top of work. Make your night times fun. Make your weekends fun. Plan it ahead. Hey, there's another weekend coming. What can I build into my schedule that's going to be fun and joyous and restful? Hey, I'm going to be getting home at five, six, or seven. What can I do tonight that's going to bring some fun, some joy, or some rest? You have to counterbalance the stress and the exhaustion of our days. We can't just be labor and then more labor from stress to more stress. We need to give our nervous systems and our psychologies a break. Then we also have to learn how to relax. We talk a lot about self-care, find and get familiar with some self-care things, which are often about doing nothing. And it's hard for some people that are always in work mode to then do nothing, to just sit in the bath, to just lay on the couch, to focus and just read a book, to just go for a walk. Oh yeah, we need to be able to do those things. Social supports, those are gonna be huge. Make sure you're paying attention to how much time you're spending in social, with social, connected to them. That's a huge one. That is going to be a buffer. We're better off for having access to that. We live longer. It's distracting. It brings joy and fun and also sometimes solutions. And then finally, sometimes you have to talk to your team at work, talk to your supervisor, your boss about some of the difficulties you're having and approach it from a plan of solutions. Not complaints, we're not complaining that oh, we shouldn't be doing that with anything. We make, we make requests, not complaints. Uh, complaints lead to someone getting defensive. So you just say, hey, I wanna see if we can come up with a plan, if there's some solutions, here's what I'm struggling with. What's possible, what's available? Anyone reasonable is gonna say, thank you for bringing that to my attention. Here's what we can do, here's what's possible, here's what's reasonable, here's what we can change. Hopefully management can be on your side. I appreciate that not everyone works with companies or in corporations where that's possible, that hurts my heart, but I wanna believe that we can all realize you're a human, I'm a human, we're all doing the best we can. We're all trying to survive. We're all at the job for money to get our basic needs met. That's what, why do you want this job? Because I have to pay bills. The number one reason why people are at a job is because they need money to live. We have to be able to acknowledge that. Most of us would choose to not work if we didn't have to. If I didn't have to work, I wouldn't. I only work because I have to. Let's make it known. It also, for me, my work has an activistic component. I'm all about trying to change the world. My work affords me the ability to do that, so that is there for me. But for most people, they're just there to get a paycheck. There's no shame in acknowledging that. I have to be here because otherwise I die. <laughs> I have to earn my basic needs. Uh, but again, lovingly making the request to management saying, you know, what's possible, what solutions are available. Um, I'm, I'm really struggling right now. And I want to believe that resources exist. Um, even mental health ones do, you know, uh, mental health time off. I've helped people get time off from their jobs to have, you know, some mental health time and also accessing other, you know, human resource things, which you should have been already, you know, given some kind of awareness of, uh, at time of employment. But all this to say that, that there's some things we can do. We want to always be able to step into some form of solution and know it's possible. So 
Um, anyway, if you want to go back and hear what all that was, you can go to wearechannelq.com, scroll down, look for Love Line, and click on it. You can binge, post, re-listen, and share. It's all about that repetition, y'all. Um, always tracking what our work is because we always want to know what we need to be working on. And then uh, when we come back, we'll be doing some DMs. So if you got a question you want answered or a topic you want us to hit, drop back into, circle back to, put it in the DMs on our Love Line IG page. Otherwise, stick around, y'all. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. If your day sounds like... We need the report ASAP. You deserve Medela. If you've persevered through... You deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp but refreshing taste. Or if you overcame... Two more reps, two more. You deserve this ice-cold reward. Medela, the markable fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. All right, y'all, we are back. Now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. DMs come from our Loveline IG page. Questions you got, put them in the DMs on our Loveline page. Or Quora topics. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, can you please explain the difference between polygamy and polyamory? Yeah, because people mistake them all. Polygamy is illegal in the United States. And polygamy is when one man, it's always gendered, when one man has multiple wives. That's polygamy. Polyamory is when adults openly, with consent, and ethically have multiple ongoing relationships. Most people are monogamous. That's the number one thing in our culture where you're like, you're my partner and my partner only. Polyamory is saying, I want more than one partner. I want more love. I want you to have more love. I don't want to feel like you own me and I own you. It's, it's an expansiveness. So again, polyamory, the word amory means love. Poly means multiple, multiple loves, multiple people in my life. Where polygamy is something completely different. And polyamory is awesome for a lot of people. Not everyone's built for it. Not everyone wants it. Not everyone has the time and energy for it. But the people that do, props. All right, we got another one. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, this might be a funny thing to feel. But ever since the row rolling, Roe versus Wade, sex has started to feel weird. Gives me anxiety. It's not weird. Even if it was, that's what you're feeling. But I get it. The stakes are higher for someone getting pregnant. In some places, you can go to jail. Uh, back to your question. You said, I'm single and bisexual. So I've been having my fun safely this summer. I like that you put safely in there, as safe as possible. Good. Hope you're asking people about COVID and monkeypox and all sorts of stuff. But recently, thinking about having sex with a man is becoming something that I do not want to do. 
Has this been a common feeling? Yeah, a lot of people don't want to have sex with men that are female uh, identified or bodied because um, uh, you have lower rates of orgasm. <laughs> That's one of the big ones. Um, let's just start with that one for a second. Uh, I don't remember what the exact numbers are, but it's something like 60, 65, 70% of women um, have sex when they have, uh, have orgasms. It's something like 90% of um, vagina owners have orgasms when they have sex with themselves. And then about 75 or 80% of them have orgasms when they have sex with another woman. But then it drops to like 20% when they have sex with someone who's a penis owner or a man. Because um, men prioritize their pleasure only. Men don't worry about their partners. Men's aren't great with female sexual anatomy. And so that on top of the idea of pregnancy and it being illegal in Roe versus Wade, yeah, you don't really want to have sex with a man, but luckily you don't have to. You're bisexual. Keep dating and having sex with women. High five. Life is good. But if you realize you meet a man, you don't want to have sex with him. Just make sure you center your pleasure. And um, if he orgasms first, you say, great. High five, bro. Now it's my turn. Here's what I, here's how I best get off. Please do this. Um, and for the guys out there, make sure the woman orgasms and most women orgasm from clitoral stimulation, not just penetration, only about one third or less orgasm from penetration. So yeah, you're going to put a little more work in there. It's not just about you centering your pleasure. And so it's an important conversation to have, but with things like Roe versus Wade, you better believe it changes someone's relationship to sex with the opposite gender because there's a higher stake. Now your, your safety uh, can you travel to a different state? Can you afford an abortion? Luckily, we can do at-home abortions. You can order the pills in the mail, but that's going to be prosecuted in some states as well. But it can be done safely at home. They are very safe. Yes, that's what the that's what the experts are telling us in that field. Um, so stock up on some of that. But I appreciate the increased anxiety. I think that's a very reasonable thing that a lot of people are going to be struggling with. The stakes went up. Sex is no longer just about fun, which is what it should be about, fun and pleasure. That's the main reason why most people have sex, fun and pleasure. Um, and now it might be something that becomes life-threatening and dangerous and has legal implications. It's heartbreaking. It's kind of changed the entire game. So we got a lot of work to do around that, so let's make sure we're addressing that on a macro level. But on a micro level, just have sex with women then. Luckily, you're bisexual. You might be better off in some context that way anyway. So do your thing, you know what I mean? Um, people that are hetero-identified, yeah, they got to go up against that orgasm gap and also, like we said, the abortion situation. So that's a bummer. All right, y'all. Got some questions for us. Drop in the DMs on our Loveland IG page. Questions you got, topics you want us to hit, things you want us to circle back to, DMs, Loveland IG page. Past episodes of the show. Always over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for Love Line, and click on it. You can binge, post, re listen, and share. Lots of good stuff over there. But uh, be kind to yourselves and those around you. We need a lot more compassion in the world. We're dropping the bar and doing 70% max. But um, as always, y'all, thanks for hanging out with me. I love being a part of your journey. And y'all enjoy the rest of your night. See you tomorrow night. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network, from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. 
Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Hey. 